0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins.
1: Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview, sitting in for Tony. My pleasure to be with you today. I want to remind you, time is running out to take advantage of the opportunity to have your support of FRC Doubled. If you give a gift between now and December 31st, and we certainly hope you will, uh, your gift will be doubled, to do so, take a uh, call, 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com. Again, the number is 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com. We couldn't do it without you. Today on the program, President Vladimir Zelensky addressed Congress last night asking the U.S. for continued support. Was it effective? We're gonna talk about that today and what we learned. Also, the omnibus bill is being passed with urgency today and into tomorrow to avoid another government shutdown. Seems in recent years we are in the habit of throwing lots of money at emergencies only to find out the money didn't go anywhere near the emergency. Ben Johnson from the Washington stand will stop by to tell us about the troubling ways COVID relief money is currently being spent and whether that tells us something about how omnibus money will be spent. Also, with Congress set to spend another $1.7 trillion in this omnibus bill, our federal debt is at $31 trillion and rising. What is the path for a nation drowning in debt? And is all of this happening just because we put our own interests before the interests of others. We're going to have that conversation in our worldview segment later in the program. But our headline today, the U.S. Senate passed the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package this afternoon by a vote of 68 to 29. For a moment earlier today, it appeared the mammoth spending package might get scuttled due to negotiations around the Title 42 border policy. But... Utah Senator Mike Lee's amendment to tie funding for the Secretary of Homeland Security's office to keeping Title 42 intact was defeated. The omnibus bill now goes to the Democrat-controlled House, where its passage is widely considered a formality. Joining me now to discuss this and tell us what happened in the Senate is Travis Weber. He is our Vice President for for Public Policy and Government Affairs. Travis, good to see you. Do we have you, Travis? Okay. Looks like we're having some difficulty there. So we're going to go talk about the House side of this first, and we're going to bring in U.S. Representative Bob Good, and he serves on the House Committee on Education and Labor and the House Budget Committee. He represents Virginia's 5th District. Congressman, oh, okay. And we're going to get him on here in just a moment. Where we're at again with this process, the bill passed the Senate earlier today. It did have most of the intrigue around this bill was in the Senate. It is headed over to the House this afternoon. It does have to be uh, changed a bit because of the amendments that were adopted, and that will be wrapped into the total bill, the final bill that will be sent to the House. And remember this is a 4000 plus page bill that is going to be tweaked based on the debate in the senate that will be sent to the house now where they are expected to pick this up in the morning do we have congressman good with us okay he and, and what the issue in the house and it looks like this is probably going to be a formality in the house in the senate There was some opportunity uh, potentially to slow this down because there was a bipartisan uh, support required in the Senate uh, that did not end up mattering because, as I said, there were, there were only 29 votes against it in the Senate, which means um, a bunch of Republicans, 21 to be exact, voted with the Democrats to pass this. Now we are going to go to U.S. Representative Bob Goode, who joins us to talk about what's happening on the Hill today. Congressman Good, thanks for joining us. Great to
2: be with you again. Thanks
1: for having me. Your reaction to the omnibus bill passing in the Senate today?
2: Well, I expect Democrats to be Democrats. We know the Democrats are just reckless spenders on their crazy, uh, progressive leftist policies. But I don't expect Republicans to partner with them. As you were pointing out in your intro there, Republicans had the ability to block it in the Senate. If we just had nine Republican senators vote for it, but no more than that, then, of course, it wouldn't have been able to advance. But it's terrible that Republicans would be part of this. To strip away the leverage the American people want us to have in the House to fund the government through September at the Democrat level, what the Democrats want, to give them everything they want this lame duck session, is an egregious abuse of the trust of the American people who vote for Republicans in elections.
1: Congressman Good, what do you attribute that to? Why were so many Republicans eager to vote for this bill. And Mitch McConnell, in fact, did seem somewhat eager. Uh, Is this just the fact that people had goodies included in this omnibus bill?
2: Well, you did have an incredible amount, $15 billion worth of uh, uh, earmarks in it. You know, earmarks are, are how votes are purchased to get folks to vote, vote for legislation they may not totally agree with. We're trying to ban those in the House. That's one of the reasons why I oppose Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. He's not joining our efforts to ban earmarks in the House. But certainly you see this coming out of this bill, this omnibus bill, $15 billion, $500 million of it for uh, uh, in Inhofe, Inhofe and 500 million of it for Richard Shelby, these departing senators who are getting big amounts of legacy spending. But it just reveals that there's, Democrats are always Democrats, but many Republicans are really Democrats as well in the way that they don't have any concern for the true values that are supposed to be the Republican Party. And fiscal responsibility is part of that. For them to do this when we have nearly $32 trillion in national debt, we're approaching $100,000 in national debt per U.S. citizen. An incredible amount of money, and yet to layer this on with more spending that's harmful to the economy, that's harmful for inflation, and more importantly, it's very harmful to the future, fiscal future, the financial future of young people across the country.
1: Congressman Good, Chuck Schumer, who is the majority leader, the Democrat majority leader in the Senate, he said the omnibus was a metaphor for the last two years. Let's play clip one. And I would say that the omnibus was a appropriate metaphor for the
0: last two years. A lot of sturm and drang, a lot of ups and
1: downs, but at the end, a great result that really helped the American people. That is true of the omnibus. Congressman good. is this a, a great result that really helps the American people?
2: You know, the most radical leftist extreme agenda that country's ever experienced has been in the last two years. No one knew how great Joe Biden was going to be at being a bad president, but just having $10 trillion in new spending in the first two years of administration has never happened in the history of the country. Of course, our, our national debt is a greater percentage of our GDP than it's ever been outside of World War II. We've got an invasion at our southern border with 5 million illegals coming in. We've surrendered American energy independence. We've got 40-year high inflation. We've got got That our schools are, are focused on indoctrination of our kids instead of academic excellence. America's national standing has diminished on the world stage. Our military is weakened by the woke policies that are being forced upon our personnel. By what standard of measurement would you say the country is better off now than it was two years ago under the harmful policies of the Democrat Party? But once again, for Republicans in the Senate, to participate in doing this to the American people on the on Christmas Eve nearly here to pass this to harm the American people further with Democrat policies being advanced by Republicans is just an egregious violation of trust. All Republican voters across the country ought to vote against every senator who voted to advance this legislation.
1: Congressman Good, one final question for you: This debate over the omnibus has been uh, wrapped around a debate over the border as well, and the conflict there and. This omnibus bill includes $45 billion more in aid for Ukraine, which is not universally opposed, but there is some concern about that. But they couldn't find uh, any money to secure the border, and all the money uh, allocated for the border is simply to facilitate the migration across the southern border. How do you explain these priorities?
2: Unbelievable. The Democrat Party does not care about our southern border. Apparently, these, these 18 or so senators don't care either. But to your point, we're secu- we're fighting, we're giving some border support, border security support to countries in the Middle East. We're fighting or giving money to Ukraine to help fight for their border uh, sovereignty with Russia. But yet we can't do anything to secure our own border. And the $45 billion allocated for Ukraine combined with the $65 billion that's already been spent, that's over $100 billion, which equates to about $200 million per House district, $200 million per House district. What do you think each of the 435 House districts could do with $200 million for them instead of sending it off to Ukraine for something that's not in America's national security interests?
1: Congressman Bob Good, thanks so much for your time today. May be with you. Merry Christmas. And now we are going to bring in Travis Weber, the Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs, to talk about what happened on the Senate side. Travis, do we have you? I'm here we got you um couple minutes left to discuss this part of this but how close was this bill to being stopped in the senate
3: yeah it was it was close but not not close enough unfortunately you know the the when you look at the monstrosity of sending trillions of dollars out our door uh you know and i and i would wager that most americans have no idea with the uh details at the detail of how our government is functioning with how Leadership that's supposed to be looking out for our interests is actually functioning, but uh, it was it was possible. It looked for a moment like Senator Lee's amendment vote uh, to uh, continue the Title 42 policy I would hold things up because Democrats did not want a simple 50 vote majority uh you threshold vote on that. It would make them put them in a tight spot to oppose a reasonable border control policy. So they ended up pushing an an amendment which also purported to do the same thing or or deal with immigration, but really was just a smokescreen enabling them to have political cover uh, to take a stand against Mike Lee's amendment, which failed. So after that, a little disagreement was resolved. Unfortunately, uh, we are once again sending trillions of dollars out the door Um, in a process that does not look like the legislative process that Congress is supposed to be undertaking.
1: Now, Title 42 is the issue that we're dealing with at the border. Senator Lee attempted to extend Title 42 so that it would make it harder for people to enter the country illegally under what is essentially COVID uh, protocols. But that did not prevail. Where do we stand then now with Title 42? Are we still expecting that to uh, expire in the next couple of days?
3: Uh, possibly, you know. I mean, the, the Biden administration is dealing with this in the courts. Uh, Republican states are going to the courts asking for an extension. I know the Supreme Court has looked at it as well. So that'll continue to play out, you know. But but what we have here is a uh, four thousand plus page bill that, within a matter of days, was uh, was rushed through the Senate and is now going to make its way over to the House uh, for a vote, probably tomorrow morning. And there are all sorts of inappropriate priorities jammed into this bill. I mean, we saw Leader Schumer speaking about how happy he is. Well, partly why he's happy is he's gotten his pork barrel projects for his own backyard. But we had um, an amendment that succeeded in putting the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, which has serious loopholes to push abortion, uh, inserted into the bill. Senator Lankford's very reasonable and moderate religious freedom amendment to that Uh, the Cassidy Amendment on the Pregnant Workers Bill failed. So the bill now further promotes abortion. It has other loopholes for abortion through VA funding and elsewhere, and it has all sorts of LGBT-related special court projects. So this bill is a host of problems aside from the process and aside from the way in which it was dealt with. Unfortunately, though, it's about uh, to go over to the House, and uh, we'll see what happens with it there tomorrow morning.
1: And we expect that will be quick. Uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, seems to have her ducks in a row typically over there and her troops in order. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem that there's going to be much of a delay there. Travis, Merry Christmas. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us today. Thank you. Coming up next, Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky was in the nation's capital yesterday, with the U.S. having committed more than $100 billion to that war-torn country. Some are asking, is it too much? We'll talk about that when we come back right on the other side of the break. Stay with us.
6: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in Fort Tony today. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed Congress last night with a plea for continued American support in Ukraine's ongoing defense against its invasion by Russia. Though President Biden has pledged unwavering support for Ukraine, a a growing number of House Republicans have expressed hostility to more support for Ukraine and the possibility of a forever war. Is that a real concern? How much of the burden should Americans be willing to shoulder? Joining me to discuss it? Is FRC's executive vice president, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence. He was also one of the original members of U.S. Army's Delta Force. General, good to see you
7: today. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Joseph.
1: Now, yesterday on the program, we discussed the fact that you believe the U.S. should be supporting Ukraine, but that the European nations should be doing more President Zelensky came to town very clearly trying to shore up his support from the U.S. Do you think it
7: worked? Well, we don't know what went on behind closed doors, but I am sure that uh, by the statements that our president made that uh, he is committed to supporting Ukraine. Does that mean he's willing to go, you know, the distance? Uh, We don't know yet because we don't know what the future holds, but uh, I think he's committed to supporting the Ukrainians, and we're going to continue to provide them with uh, military material as well as uh, humanitarian aid.
1: Now, uh, Republican leader Mitch McConnell has said that winning the war in Ukraine is the top Republican priority. Yesterday, however, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican in the House, he said that he supports Ukraine but doesn't support a blank check. Now, given the omnibus bill that's currently being uh, passed, will be passed, uh, expected to be passed in the morning, that'd be $100 billion for Ukraine so far.
7: Do you think we have a blank check for Ukraine? Well, first of all, I think we, I think that what has been spent thus far is about $60, 60 billion. Uh and, and by the way, if you reflect back on uh a uh, couple of years ago uh we left 83 billion dollars worth of material brand new uh state of the art military machinery and and weapons and so forth we left that in the hands of the taliban our enemies uh and we've given the uh, ukrainians about 60 billion and we're about to give them another 45 billion so I don't know whether we could call it a blank check or not. Kevin McCarthy certainly sounded very serious about this. But what I do know is as we talked yesterday, the Europeans have got to come come to the table here with more than what they provided so far. Now, uh several of those European countries are actually giving uh, uh an amount that is uh greater than their than than the GPT ratio that we're giving. It's actually greater of a few of those. But the others, Germany especially, really needs to get engaged here and provide more money and more material to the Ukrainians so that America is not carrying this alone.
1: Now, any opposition in. Washington, D.C., to funding this war is coming from the Republican Party, and certainly that is not uh, universal within the Republican Party, but all the opposition is in the Republican Party, and the Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives in the next session. Now, President Zelensky uh, is certainly aware of this opposition. One of the arguments that he made yesterday was the idea that it's important for Ukraine to win as a way of defeating Iran. Who is providing r- drones to Russia and he tried to loop this in with the broader war on terror. Let's play clip 8
8: Russia found an ally in this, in this genocidal policy Iran. Iranian de- deadly drones sent to Russia in hundreds in hundreds became a threat to our critical infrastructure. That is how one terrorist has found the other. It is just a matter of time when they will strike against your other allies if we do not stop them now.
1: General, do you think it's wise to see this conflict in Ukraine as part of a broader war on terror?
7: No, I, I, I don't uh, buy his argument there. Listen, Iran is a as a as a standalone entity. Iran is a huge threat to America and to the rest of the free world. So there's no question about that. And Iran is providing material to the Russians, particularly drones, where they they have very good technology. But I also don't think that we should, for one minute, think that if we defeat uh, the Russians on the battlefield there, and I say we, meaning the Ukrainians with our support— uh, that we have uh, therefore defeated uh, Iran in some way. I don't see it that way. Iran is going to be a standalone threat until ultimately we deal with them, uh, and and that could be in the battle space, uh, but it could also be uh, that we come in and support some of the insurgent elements that uh, are protesting in the streets as we speak in Tehran. And may the revolutionaries there in in Iran have success.
1: another question I want to ask you about this is the amount and the kinds of support we are willing to provide. When we talked yesterday about the Patriot missile system that we are about to provide to Ukraine as part of the most recent round of aid. However, President Biden has said he will not uh, grant their request for long-range weapons. Help us understand why there are some weapons, we, some kinds of support we would provide, but uh, specifically not long-range weapons.
7: I think this has been a, uh, a flawed logic from the very beginning, and, and especially when you think back of Jim Psaki telling us repeatedly that the MiG-29s were offensive weapons that uh, we weren't going to give them the MiG-29s because they were offensive weapons and they would be escalatory. And you stop to think about it. Here's a country that's fighting for its life. All you have to do is watch TV just for a few minutes and look at the destruction that has taken place there. These people are fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their future. They're fighting for their families and in And and we are calling these weapons offensive weapons. Listen, when you're fighting the way the Ukrainians are for everything, it's all on the table. It's all or nothing. Uh, It's hard for me to understand the logic behind calling these weapons offensive weapons. They're not going to fire on Moscow. They are trying to get the Russians out of the Ukraine and retake the land that when they became a sovereign country, was part of their nation, and now the Russians are occupying Crimea in the Crimea and eastern part of the of, of the Ukraine. I got to cut you off. We are out
1: of time. Thanks for being with us. Good to be with you. Coming up, how is federal COVID relief being used for the abortion industry? We'll talk about it when we come back.
6: Are you a university student?
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. Website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch. All week on the program, we've been discussing the rush to pass the omnibus bill to prevent a government shutdown. For many Americans, the argument that we must spend trillions of dollars to avoid a disaster is starting to feel familiar. After all, the massive government spending project known as the American Rescue Plan was designed to deal with the emergency of COVID-19, and it shoveled billions of dollars to state and local governments. Was that money used for emergency purposes? Earlier this month, the Toledo, Ohio City Council proposed spending $100,000 from the American Rescue Plan funds to pay for Ohio women to travel out of state to obtain abortions. Rochester, New York, has selected Planned Parenthood as one of 20 members of its Rochester Peace Initiative which will split $5 million from the American Rescue Plan funds. There are multiple problems here. First, it's against the law to use federal funds for abortion. But it is also beyond dispute that COVID relief funds were supposed to be for COVID relief, not to help the city of Toledo cover travel expenses for those who want abortion vacations. So why are federal dollars funding these assaults on life? Joining me now to discuss it is Ben Johnson, senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand. Ben, good to see you today.
0: Good to be with you as always, Joseph.
1: Now, you wrote about the misuse of American Rescue Plan funding for The Washington Stand. Tell us how you found the instances of this happening.
0: Well, you know, in this case, it was really an instance of us expecting to find exactly what we did find. Family Research Council warned when uh, the ARP was being considered by Congress that this is exactly what would happen. This was not going to go to COVID relief uh, as well-intentioned as that might have been. Uh, in, in fact, uh, at the time, we thought that it was probably misguided. The economy was already coming back in March of 2021. Uh, COVID was already on uh, the, the release at that time. So uh, things, were, things were already moving in our direction. And then uh, when, when this was passed, we said this would establish a slush fund that would be used by states and localities for everything except for COVID relief. And that's exactly what we found. Uh, In fact, most uh, cities and states had only spent a fraction of the COVID relief uh, funds that had been allocated in March by the end of last year, according to the Associated Press. Uh, When this was happening, the other side insisted that uh, these funds would never be used for anything except for COVID. Uh, But we noted at the time that the bill was passed that it was one of the very few bills that had ever been passed without the Hyde Amendment, which protects uh, federal taxpayers from being uh, forced to pay for abortion across the country. And as it turned out, of course, we were right. I assumed that those hopes would be disappointed, and I was not disappointed.
1: Now, Ben, I mentioned two instances in the introduction, one out of Toledo, Ohio, the other in Rochester, New York. Are there others as well? There are. You know, in
0: September, Cuyahoga County, Ohio, which is Cleveland, spent almost half a a million dollars on COVID relief funds to pay for abortion travel and hotel rooms uh, for Ohio women who go out of state to have abortion. And then there was St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri, doubled that. Uh, Mayor Tashara Jones allocated a million dollars of federal COVID relief funds to pay for abortion travel or for child care. Uh, for women who left the state for an abortion. She did at least try to justify it on economic terms. She said that abortion bans were bad for the economy. So that was the way that she tried to uh, justify her expenditure. But uh, we've seen this time and time again. Even the uh, Far Left Nation magazine, which is as far left as you can go on the political spectrum, essentially, spoke about the fact that federal COVID funds were going uh, not for COVID relief, but they were going uh, for what they called reproductive justice and reproductive health care, which uh, we would call the termination of an unborn child's life.
1: The logic that uh, bans on abortion would be bad for the economy is uh, interesting. I don't know how to have an economy uh, without people, Ben. Seems to be an important ingredient to that. Now, could an attorney general for a state step in to prevent this from happening?
0: Well, one, uh, at least one, had the courage to do so. That was uh, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. Uh, he filed lawsuit the same day that St. Louis uh, passed its million dollars in uh, COVID abortion funding back in July. So he was the first one to uh, to take that initiative. Uh, and of course, we know that uh, the voters rewarded that. He was just elected U.S. senator from Missouri. So uh, that was that was a very popular move to uphold federal law, to uphold the integrity of healthcare funding, uh, this is the biggest adulteration of funding that you can imagine. These funds were allocated uh, for, for um, in, in wisdom or uh, poorly thought out, but they were allocated in order to preserve life. They were put there in order to fight the spread of COVID-19 in uh, the idea that it was a killer disease that was going to uh, stamp out the lives of thousands of people. And as it turned out, of course, it's being used to facilitate the taking of life. Uh, It is an adulteration of funds. It's the exact opposite of what was promised. But uh, we should not be surprised if that was the case again. FRC warned about this in the lead up to the expenditure of those funds.
1: Now, Ben, can't help but think about this in the context of this omnibus bill. We know COVID was emergency spending. We've heard uh, arguments about urgency being made with this omnibus bill as well. Should we expect uh, more of the same with these quote-unquote emergency funds in about 30 seconds?
0: You should expect that with every massive government spending bill. Not just uh, omnibus bills, not just ARP, but in fact, every large government spending bill. Uh, if, uh, Of course, the, uh, the Justice Department is still prosecuting people for outright fraud when it came to COVID because it was rushed through so quickly. But uh, anytime the federal government is handing out money, there will be people who will use it completely fraudulently. And there will be those who allocated for purposes other than that for which it was intended, usually to drive a political uh, purpose. And in many cases, we can say that that's probably what the federal uh, lawmakers intended in the first place when they passed the bill.
1: Ben Johnson, great article. Go check it out at WashingtonStand.com. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Coming up next, we've been talking about the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill the main topic of conversation in D.C. this week. But how do we think about this biblically? How do we examine a nation's debt and spending patterns? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Stay tuned. We'll talk about it when we come back.
9: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength
6: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in Fort Tony. Congress rushing through a $1.7 trillion spending package likely to saddle our children's children with debt may just be business as usual in the nation's capital. But actions like this shouldn't just slip past American voters as we're distracted by Christmas and moving on to 2023. So for our weekly worldview segment, we're going to talk about the nation's debt and spending from a biblical perspective. What does God say about national identity? What does the Bible teach us about debt? What lessons does the biblical text offer for considering these issues? Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Dave Bratt. He's the Dean of the School of Business at Liberty University. He's also a former member of Congress. Dr. Bratt, welcome to the program.
8: Hey, great to be on. Thank you. Merry Christmas out there.
1: Merry Christmas to you. I want to start just getting your reaction to what's happening in the Capitol this week, this omnibus bill. What's your response?
8: Well, you set it up right, and uh, it's just business as usual, or whatever. But that—that's not satisfactory, especially on a show like this. Uh, and Christians, unfortunately, you, you know, we're taught to love and be kind and gentle, and you know, the whole Pauline teachings on uh, love, etc. But uh, God's law didn't go away, right? And uh, you know, do not bear false witness. Uh, do not lie. Uh, we're just being straight out lied to, right? Uh, procedurally and literally, uh, the biblical teachings—you know—the most important is the first commandment. I'm—I'm uh, I'm the Lord your God. Period. Yeah. Doctor, right? Bratt- uh, there, there's nothing in this budget document that acknowledges that fact. The Republican Party yeah. have a have a few lines, 15 lines about uh, God and uh, the origin of human rights, yeah. at least. The Democrats only have one mention
1: by I, yeah. I, I want to get clarification. You said we're being lied to. What do you think we're being lied to about?
8: Oh, woe is me at the end of the time, you know, right when this thing comes up. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. You know, the, we got trapped. We're squeezed. It's Christmas. We got to get out of here. Uh, they tell you when they run, we're going to balance the budget every single time, right? And so when you don't do that and you just put on pretenses in and, and, and the few weeks before, Anyone who is leading on this issue, uh, basically, to not be lying, uh, even implicitly, should have been out just screaming that the sky is falling, you know, six months ago, a year ago. Uh, And for leadership, leadership does this. uh, The Republican leadership does this to Republicans, right? So now the Republicans are acting like, oh, my word, I can't believe these guys. You know, uh, trillion dollar deficits again. There's no surprise here. This happens every time. And so, uh, it, it's, it's just morally outrageous. It, it, it's not, uh, just business as usual. The, Re- the Republicans are in a tough spot. It's hard to outcompete Santa Claus, right? Uh, when, when the other side says, I'm just going to give you free stuff. But then the Republicans need to explain to the country seriously what's at stake, and they refuse to do that because it is a brutal conversation. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, the American people deserve exactly what they're getting, right? They they just voted for a certain Senate outcome,
1: and they got it. Let's talk about the the implications of this. There has been some strong minority opposition in Congress. And today, Senator Rand Paul, who's been perhaps the most vocal opponent of this bill, Uh, He actually took a picture with all 4,000-plus pages of this printed out to give some perspective on exactly what we were doing. He gave a speech from the floor of the Senate, and he's basically saying that we're constantly waiving their own rules to get this done. Let's play clip 11. Good legislation is out there to restrain deficit spending, only to be
3: universally ignored and rejected by future Congresses. Today's legislation breaks the Congressional Budget Act rules. So, congressional leaders have included in this
8: monstrous spending bill language to simply waive the paygo rules.
3: Congress has time and time again waived its own rules, and the result
1: has been over 31 trillion dollars in
3: the debt, Senate will, inflation, the Senate
7: will be in order, Thank
1: and weakened you. economy. Let's respect the American people by being responsible stewards of their tax dollars and adhering to our own budget rules. So about that, why does Congress make rules and then waive their rules because they don't want to follow their rules? Why have them?
8: Yeah, well, you you make the rules because you get to put your name on the rule and then put it out in the newspaper and send it home to your constituents. Look what I did. Knowing full well, you don't explain to constituents we can just, you know, get rid of this the day we write the legislation uh, to increase the debt ceiling or pass a terrible budget, do the omnibus. It's all a game. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, 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 Rand, I, you lo- know, Rand Paul's great. And there's you know, Mike Lee and a few other serious folks in there. And so, you know, it's hard to put the whole weight of the world on about five people in the Senate. Yeah. There's a few other good ones uh, that mean business, but it, they too know. And, you know, if you really want to get serious about this, they needed a year ahead of time and put pressure on, on Mitch McConnell, uh, in public saying, if this happens, here's what uh, we will do. For the next year and you got and you got to have the guts to go through with that right you got to lay down some consequences we will block the entire Senate because they can uh a handful one one person could stop a lot of stuff in his tracks and they just need to say the country's bankrupt right is enough but here's the line and then McCarthy to his credit who's no better on any of this he knew exactly what's happening he was in a room a month ago and said yes to all of it but now that his speakership is on the line he's saying we may not pass uh Senate stuff if it has to go through me, I'm going to be tough. And so uh that's a joke and uh it's uh morally uh objectionable as well.
1: Now let's talk about the the, the severity of the situation we find ourselves in. And yeah. for, for some perspective, the federal government has about 5 trillion dollars in assets, which seems like a lot, right? But our total debt right now is thirty-five trillion dollars, which is, of course, uh, a lot more than that—seven times more, right? Yeah. But beyond that, over the next seventy-five years, we have seventy-one trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities for Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. Which means, for the first time, we just crossed a line where we have over one hundred trillion dollars. Of unfunded liabilities over the next 75 years. Where does this go? Yeah,
8: well, where it goes is to our immediate happiness. Again, uh, you know, it's hard to find in the good book uh, that we're supposed to be maximizing our happiness. <laughs> the Heidelberg Catechism and the Baltimore Catechism for our Catholic friends. Oh, uh, say, so what's the- and a man, last time I checked, the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy his benefits. And yeah. uh, that's far from uh, this happiness. And so I'm, I'm, all that to say, what we're doing is we're getting fully funded Social Security benefits, fully funded Medicare, fully funded uh, gold-plated pension retirements for the last generation that's going to get any of that. The kids are going to get nothing. <clears throat> Both of them are bankrupt. You can go out to their own uh, boards, right, the Social Security board and the Medicare board. And, and back check me on that. Yeah. And then uh, on top of that, you have 32 trillion in debt that we're spending. We just did funny money from the Federal Reserve, 9 trillion on the balance sheet, and then 32 trillion in extra government spending that we didn't pay for over the last years for ourselves. None of that goes to the kids. They have to pay back every cent of our misspending. It's a moral outrage. All the suburban parents who are highly educated uh, should understand this and know this, and yet they just go on with the uh, the spending party as usual.
1: Dr. Bratt, do you think this is a form of theft?
8: Oh, oh, it's absolutely theft. I mean, this is uh, what happens when you ignore the first commandment and then uh, do not lie, don't bear false witness, do not steal. I mean, these converses are racking them up, right? And then all of it, 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 it all—all it all the commandments are, are being violated, right? We we want everything for ourselves right now. Do not covet. Boy, do we covet. We covet everything instantaneously. And so you know, and and then the summary of the law through Jesus, right? God, and then love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor includes the next generation. This is not love. This this is guile, right? It It is. It is just treachery toward the people. And this generation has the nerve to love, love, love. We all love everything. It's easy to say all these nice little phrases. It's harder to live it out.
1: You know, Senator Paul has talked about this as not just a financial issue, but a matter of national security. Do you agree yeah. with that? And if so, why?
8: Yeah, sure. Because uh, our greatest threat is China by a hundredfold, and uh, we're blowing about a hundred billion this year on the Ukraine war, uh, which John Mearsheimer, you know, go Google him back in '14, said it was just a disastrous mistake. It was. We messed around with NATO and Eurozone countries and a buffer state of Russia, the mother bear. Uh, Never a good idea to poke the bear. Well, we did more than poke. Uh, and it looks like now uh, this week a bit, and it looks like hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian innocents are suffering and dying so that we can kind of go after Russia and weaken them. Um, every All the young men are leaving, right, and going south, the, a lot of the old satellite Russian countries and regions. And it uh, looks like they're going to stay there. And I think our geopolitical hope is that they get strong enough to revolt and give Russia a hard time. So, that's the geopolitical objective, uh, and we're willing to do talk talk immorality. I don't I don't I don't know the words to describe it. The 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 explicit knowing that we are sending Ukrainians to die uh, for a proxy war on our behalf to take out a second tier power, uh, wasting. A, there's a trillion dollar rebuild coming up, right? There's just a hundred billion this year for the war, and it's going to be more. Uh, to destroy human life without without any of this being approved by the uh, American people or without any strategic objectives being laid out by Congress. Here's why we're going to war. Here's why it's so crucial that hundreds of thousands of people need to die. Young kids and just young families are dying. Nothing. And so, yeah, is it a, is it a, a threat to our national security? Of course, because all these resources are being misplaced now. And if China knocks at the door, we're not going to be ready to roll.
1: Dr. Bratt, when we when we think about where this goes, and we talked about the fact that we have a hundred trillion dollars that we currently own, it continu- that number continues to climb. How do, does this train run out of track? And if yeah. and when it does, what does that look like? How, because for a lot of Americans, still we we look at these numbers, the balance sheet looks bad, but a lot of people are still pretty comfortable. We're in a recession, right? But for a lot of people, life is moving along pretty fine and relatively especially compared to historically we're very comfortable yeah. yeah how do we know that the gig is up we've spent too much money we have passed the point of no return
8: yeah well the, uh, the unfunded liabilities you mentioned those uh, those will just get scaled back right instead of getting 100% of your benefit you're going to go <laughs> down 90 80 70 60 50 uh, percent of your benefit will be paid out. So you'll, you know, the, the next generation will feel those cuts in their benefits because we'll be bankrupt. The, the government debt is another matter. And the new thing here, the reason we're paying so much attention and it's finally sticking is because the interest rates, right? The federal funds rates going up to 5% by this year. The Fed announced, right? And so if you take 5% of 32 trillion, that's the interest on the debt. And it's bigger than the defense budget, which we just jacked up by 10 percent, bigger than the rest of the budget uh, to pay for the Ukraine war and other misadventures. And so uh, that is why the Fed has to cause a recession now and get rid of inflation. Right. They cannot afford to pay the debt on the interest. If you just do a 10 percent of 32 trillion, it's three trillion. Right. So half that's a trillion and a half right now we're on a uh, pathway to hit about 800 billion. Uh, and that's just interest on the debt payments, right? That's not that's not paying down the debt. That's just paying the cost of yeah. money to borrow. And so that's the main piece you got coming at you like a locomotive. And that uh, we're all gonna have to see that one, right? That that one right. will be obvious. Dr. And now of
1: course the politicians, yeah. to tell the truth a bit. We've got about 90 seconds left yeah. and, and we've been hard on the politicians today. But isn't it also true that a lot of the American public, they want these goodies. They want the benefits that the money is providing. And if we're really going to solve this problem, do we not have to get to a place as a population where we say it's not all about me being comfortable? If we're going to be responsible, it means I'm going to have to not get things that I might like for the benefit of my posterity.
8: Yeah, well, and so, yeah, we, the we, 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 right? We used to be a Judeo-Christian nation. Uh, England, London now is not anymore uh, even a majority uh, Christian nation. Uh We still are in the backdrop, but it's getting so weak. It's unbelievable. And there's a lot of nice people who just want to be nice instead of uh, following God's will for them. And so you're right, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, we just, uh, kept the Senate in Democrat hands who are doing all these crazy things uh, to your children's, uh, sexuality, K to 12 education, uh, calling you domestic terrorists, uh, stay at home, uh, teaching moms, locking them up in handcuffs. Uh, the evidence was in for all to see. Uh, now you got the Twitter files and the FBI and the CIA in, uh, in with the government and big tech controlling freedom of speech, which, of course, is tied to uh, religious claims, et cetera, as well. And the American people validated it. It it is shocking to me. And so the days uh, where we had a Judeo-Christian logic are over. I, I hope there's still a reservoir that can be tapped into That can be revitalized for Christian
1: faith, and we can move forward. And and that's what we're here for. But we're out of time today. I've got to let you you. go. God bless you. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, brother. Great. And friends, we thank you for being with us. There is a lot of bad news, but don't despair. And especially because of Christmas, God in flesh came to dwell among us to solve all of these problems. And one day that will happen. We will see you very soon. Merry Christmas. Fear God and nothing else.